the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. We'll start in verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whoever you are are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And if you would, look over in chapter 6, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And that's, that's all we'll read. You may be seated. So to get the context of where we're at here, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Galatia. By what we can see, the people had came to Christ, uh, putting their faith in Him for salvation, but they were drawing back to the, the ways of the law and trying to add to the work that Christ has done. And he says here in chapter 5, he says, stand fast in the liberty. Now when man thinks about liberty that we have in Christ, I think the natural man always thinks of a liberty to live how we want to, and Christ is going to take care of all the things that we do, and everything's going to be forgiven, and everything's going to be okay, as you've already heard. That's the thinking of man. But this liberty of Christ, it's, it's actually the opposite of that. He says, if you'll look in the fifth chapter here, verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So this liberty of Christ is, Christ did not come and give himself that I could have the liberty to live in sin, and still be acceptable with God. Christ came to liberate me in truth from the flesh and from sin. Look at, with me in just a, a couple of places in John chapter number 8, verse 32. The Lord Jesus says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered Him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? ye shall be made free. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So here was a people, Jesus says, If you'll come to the word of God, if you'll come to the truth, I am able to make you free. And they responded, just like every man and woman responds to that today, we are free. We're not in bondage. We're not in trouble. I don't need the Lord to make me free. I'm free already to do how we want to do. But notice how the Lord brings it out. Whoever commits sins, the servant of sin. And there's where man's at. Man's in a place that he is the servant of sin. And man may have liberty to sin in his own being, but man does not have the liberty to serve God and be pleasing to Him. Because man is fallen and his nature is fallen, his desires are fallen, and as, as God looked at man in Genesis, He said every thought and desire and intent of his heart is evil continually. And there mankind finds himself servants unto sin. And we may know the law of God. We may know the judgment of God. We may know what God says is right and what God says is good and what God says He's going to punish. But the truth is, we're unable to keep the law of God. 
We're unable to follow that prescription that though we know what's right, we're unable to walk after that. So man, by reason of the the fallen nature, the indwelling of the devil, if you'll have it, that spirit, as he says in Ephesians chapter 2, that worketh in the children of disobedience, the prince of the power of the air, man is unable to do right and his nature is continually towards sin and ungodliness and there's no inclination in the heart of man that is, that's lost and undone to serve or to be pleasing to God. But it's, it's really like, like you've already heard this morning. His nature and his intent is to please himself. And if going to church is part of that, it's not to please God, but it's to please me. It's what I want to do. It makes me look good, and it gives me a good image. But to truly serve God, that's not in man's heart. But God came to liberate us from the bondage that the devil had us under. That here I was for years... I wanted to serve myself. I wanted to serve the flesh. And I said, well, well, I'm free to do how I want to and I enjoy this and I don't want to be brought into bondage. And that's the way man thinks about salvation. Well, if I come to God, I'm going to be brought into bondage. I don't want to have to give these things up and be bound to serve the Lord like He would require. But see, it's, it's all a twisted view by the lies of the devil because as man is in his natural state, he's a servant unto sin and he can do no different. He is bound unto sin. Isn't it something how that man wants to legalize and wants the government to approve that we might be free to take part and as man legalizes and approves, he comes farther into bondage. Sin brings man into bondage and into slavery to itself. And so God's come that we may be liberated, that that inward desire to to sin and rebel against God would be changed by His working. He has made, as we read in chapter 6, new creatures. God has came that we might be free, not just free in the sense of the world, but God's come to make us free from the old nature and from the corrupt man. In Romans chapter number 6, he says this. Romans 6 and verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, that's a good word, from this point forward, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed. There's your word. There's liberty. He's freed from sin. So Jesus has came, and I I realize this. I'm not saying that we don't still live in a flesh that is corrupted and is rebellious and, and still desires sin. The flesh still does. But you know what I've got today that I didn't have before? I've got now an inward desire to be pleasing unto God. God has changed me inwardly and now the desire of my heart is not towards the world or towards myself or towards the pleasing of the flesh, but in the heart of them that God is saved, there's an inward desire to be pleasing unto God. He's freed me from the bondage of sin that I was once in through the power of Jesus Christ. And here in Galatians, he says, stand fast in that. They were wanting to go back under a a works system, under what I've done and what I've earned. And I I realize the, the works of the law as the Jew thought of it in the day this was written, that's well dead and gone at this day and hour and in our neck of the woods. But there's still a great sense in the heart of man towards works. And when you begin to inquire about man's salvation, you know what you hear often? I've been baptized and I've went to church and I've been good. And all of these things that that man has trust in, that's trusting in works. Jesus came to liberate me from works because I couldn't work it out myself. But what man has to do, and we we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but be not entangled again 
with the yoke of bondage. Jesus come and through His life, He fulfilled the perfect standard of God Almighty. He was righteousness in a body like yours and I's with no sin, no corruption, and no failure. And in those that come to God in Christ, God imputes. He takes that righteousness that Christ earned and He imputes it onto our account. And so those that are in Christ, they're righteous not because of anything that they've done, not because of their works or of their goodness, but those in Christ, they're righteous because of what Christ has done. God has given them the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing about that is, if I slip and fall tomorrow, if I err tomorrow, if I don't do as I ought to do tomorrow, I don't have to fear that my righteousness is gone and that my peace between me and God has been taken away because I'm not resting in what I've done. I'm resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm righteous today because God has put me in Christ and Christ is righteous. So stand fast in that liberty and don't go back and be entangled with, he calls it the yoke of bondage. So you think about a yoke, if you're going to plow with horses, with oxen, you're going to have a yoke that goes around their neck that binds them to that plow, and through that they're going to pull. Their labor and their work is going to be used to break the ground. And so he calls the law and a trusting in works, that's a yoke of bondage. That's that, i tell you what it is, it's the Lord Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he said, you lay grievous burdens around men's necks and you yourselves don't touch them with even your little finger. You're not interested in the good of man, but you're interested in this law and bringing people into bondage of the law. The Lord Jesus came that man could have righteousness outside of the works of the law because tomorrow you're going to fail. And tomorrow, I'm going to fail. But thank God in Jesus, I don't have to bow down and pray, God, don't destroy me today. I can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now if, if I'm going to begin to make me being able to come to God about me and what I've done, then you see what that creates is when I sin and when I err, I've got a big problem with coming to God because now I've, I've broken the law and I, I can't approach to God anymore because my works are not perfect. You know what the, the, the law says? Listen, listen to the next two verses. That if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. I testify again... A man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. So if my trust then is in anything of me, I can't say, well, uh, I, I'm in Christ and, and I've been baptized and I go to church and I've, I've done good works and I've, I've studied my Bible and I've tried to pray and all of these outward works... If, if I'm trusting in those for my salvation in any capacity, if all of my trust and all of my hope is not in Jesus Christ, but I've got a little corner over here where I can boast in my wisdom and in my might and say, well, I I've done all of these things. If, if that's the case, then Christ is of no benefit to me. If a man be circumcised... If a man is trying to please God and approach to God by his works and by his deeds, Christ is of no profit. Because Christ came not for the righteous, not for the good, but he came to call sinners to repentance, the bankrupt and the wicked and the vile. He came that man could come to God not through their merit, but through Christ's merit and His alone. And so He says, if you are circumcised, now if you are going to trust in your works, if you're going to trust in something that you've done, 
then you're a debtor to the whole law. You know what the law requires? Me to keep it perfectly. I may be able to make an A and miss five questions on my test. But with God, there's pass or fail. There's only two grades. And if I miss one point, I have failed the exam. Now, if you were in high school or in college and they give you a test and they said that's the guidelines, I can't you hear everybody in the class? That's not fair. That's not right. You can't do that. Boy, that's strict, ain't it? That's the strictness and the straightness of the law. If you're going to follow or come to God by your works, you're a debtor to do it all. And man says, well, I've done most of it. Most of it is unacceptable with God. Having more good than bad is unacceptable unto God. James writes it and he he says the exact same thing, but he puts it in a little different way that, that I can see it a little better. If you keep the whole law yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all of it. Don't begin to say and say, well, I've kept these eight commandments, but these two I've broke, but everybody breaks those, and I've, I've kept most of them, and for most of my life I've been pretty good. Know that, that if that's the mindset and the trust that we have, you're now a debtor to do all of the law, and you by your own admission have not done the law. You can't come to God that way. And I'm going to say... Commandment number one, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Do you reckon that we've really loved the Lord with all of our heart? That's the first commandment of all, the Bible says. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two, hinge all of the law and the prophets. That's what the Lord Jesus said. You loved your neighbor like yourself. Have you loved God with all your heart? Boy, we're we're a long ways from pleasing God. The notion of me coming to God by works, when you really break it down, that's a pretty foolish notion. But here's what man does. If, If you'll look with me in Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. You blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and platter, but in they are full of extortion and excess. So if you back on up as well, in verse 16, Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever swear by the temple, it is nothing. Whosoever swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. So what's going on here? They're doing just like everybody else does. And they're making ways to worm around the law that they can still justify themselves even though they don't keep it. So Jesus here says, you're paying all these tithes. And you know what they were doing? They had these little herb gardens where they grew not not corn, not tomatoes, but they had little of mint and cumin. and, And they were getting it down and measuring out to the tenth the exact amount and making sure they paid those tithes, but they were leaving the weightier portions of the law undone. But in their minds, because they were doing the tithes, they were justified. And here they say if you swear by the temple, it's not a sin. But if you swear by the gold in the temple, that's a sin. And in Matthew 15, they said that the disciples, they're not washing according to tradition. And Jesus said, you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition. Because God said to honor your father and mother, and you're saying you don't really have to do it 
like God said that you had to. And so man in his mind, we dumb down the commandments, we dumb down the law, and we bring it down to where we measure up to it just fine. But the Lord said, woe. I realize we read that word. Maybe we don't think a whole lot of that word. But if you look in Isaiah and Jeremiah, you'll find that word woe many times. It's a Hebrew word. And it's a cry of great judgment and anguish and destruction and fear. You know what is going to fall on those that dumb down the law and that spurn the righteousness of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Judgment, wrath, the fury of God will be poured out. So he says here, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. So that word, it means to render entirely idle or useless. So that the Lord Jesus has come to be a sacrifice for us. A substitution for me. That His righteousness is substituted unto me that I could be righteous and my sin is substituted unto Him. It's a, a double imputation. There's a transaction taking place. He's bearing my sin to the cross and God's imputing His righteousness to me so that I can be free from my guilt of my failure and that I can have righteousness that's true and pure and holy. He came to do a complete work. And now I'm going to say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I've done all of these other things as well. And what I'm doing is I'm rendering the work of Christ idle in my life. I no longer need a real substitution. I just need a little salve to cover the few places that I've messed up. I just need something to put a band-aid over where that I've sinned and erred, but for the most part I've done good on my own. The Lord Jesus didn't come to be a band-aid. And a man that need a band-aid isn't bankrupt anyway. I tell you what the Word of God says about man. He's full of sores and putrefying wounds from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Sin, it's like, it's like gangrene. I don't know if you know anything about gangrene. A blood infection and a deadly infection. And if I get a cut here on the tip of my finger and gangrene sets in, a Band-Aid is not going to fix that. You know what they're going to have to do? That's going to have to come off. Or it's going to kill the whole body. See, man's trying to put band-aids on his life. Man's trying to put band-aids over his sin and over the places that he's failed. And the truth is, it's of no value and the work of Christ has been rendered idle or useless in your life. You're saying, I don't need uh, the replacement of Jesus. I just need a little help and I'm going to do this myself. It's turning away from the righteousness of God and trusting in our own. Paul said in Romans 10, where he was speaking about the Jews there as well, that they were ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So what, what was the, the bottom line? What was the problem with them? It was ignorance. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. And for somebody to think that what I do is going to make me acceptable to God, that is a true ignorance of just how righteous and pure and holy that God is. God is so righteous that He can't look upon one sin. Not one sin can be acceptable in His sight. But when I'm ignorant of His righteousness, it leads me to the place that I'm going to go about to establish, to set up, to build up my own righteousness. To make, as it were, my resume as to why God's going to accept me when I get to heaven. And Christ, the work of Christ, has been neglected 
in those lives. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now that term, that term's fearful in the hearts of many people. But this is not, this is not people falling from their salvation. The Apostle Paul teaches multitudes of times about the eternal security of them that are in Jesus Christ. But So what's he saying here? Well, grace, graciousness, the, the gift of God without merit and without work, and the divine influence in the inward man. So this work of salvation is, as Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. God has made the means through Jesus Christ our Lord. God through the Word and the Spirit calls man into this through His grace. And it's of no earning nor boasting of myself, but it's a work of God. And, and you know, he says in Ephesians, I'm sure we could all quote it, that by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I tell you something you ought to think of. If the way that I think people get saved, if it leaves any place for me to boast in something I've done, then that's, that's wrong thinking. Because this way of salvation is solely of God. And God gets all of the glory and all of the honor for this work. And so God has, by His grace, called man unto salvation. And man that's trusting in His works, he's falling from the gift of God. He, he says this in Romans chapter 4, instead of it being a gift of God, we're earning it. So he says in Romans 4 verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So if, if I am laboring, and if my works and what I do is producing salvation then what I'm saying is it's not a gift of God. It's not by grace. God's just paying me for what I've done. I'm earning my way to heaven. I'm earning my way to righteousness. I'm earning my way to please God. Now can that be... Can it be that, that I'm going to get to go to heaven and God says, Son, you've been so good, I owe it to you to let you in. Because you done this, and because you said these words, I'm going to let you come in. I owe it to you. You've been good. Now that's what he says here. If you're working, the reward's not of grace. It's not unmerited. But if I'm working, it's something that I've merited. I've earned it. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So you got two types of people here in Romans 4, 4 and 5. you got them that are earning their way to heaven, and God's going to owe it to them to let them in. And you got them that are not working to get to heaven, but they've entrusted their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to get to go in, not because they've done something, but because God has accepted them through what Jesus has already done. Now the truth is, nobody's coming by working. That's in the mind of man. This is what David said. This is verse 6. Romans 4 verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man upon whom the Lord will not impute sin. You know what God's doing in Jesus? He's took our sin and put it on the Lord instead of accounting it. That's what impute means to estimate, to take an inventory, to account. When God looks at my manifest, if you know anything about truck driving, that truck driver is supposed to have a manifest of everything that's in the back. 
Well, you know, if, if God was to look at the manifest of our life and see everything that we've said and everything that we've done and God's going to give to me according to what's on my manifest, boy, it'd be a shame, wouldn't it? Where would we be if God looked at our manifest and said, I'm going to give to you according to what's on here? But you know what God's done? God's took my manifest and He put all of that sin on the Lord Jesus and when God looks at my manifest now, He sees what Jesus has done and I'm acceptable through Jesus and Him alone so that God's imputed righteousness and not imputed sin. And God imputes this without works. Well, now you've got to do this and you've got to do that, and you've got to say these words. And if you don't do that, then you can't be saved. Well, the Jews were saying you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to be this and that and the other, and you've got to eat this, and you can't eat this, and you can't touch this. And if you don't do that, then you're not saved. If we're not careful, we'll get that mindset as well. And we'll lay grievous burdens on people's back, and we won't touch them with our little finger. The truth is, man is saved in Jesus and in Jesus alone, apart from works. You're fallen from grace. So we've... That word means to drop away or to drive off course. We've taken the, the goodness of God that gave His Son Jesus Christ of no merit or earning of ours, and we've said, God, I don't want Your gift. I don't want what You've produced. I'd rather earn it myself. Now I would say that's a, that's a big fall, wouldn't you? To shun the gift and the grace of God for our works and for our deeds. So in verse 5, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So Paul says those that are in Christ, they're waiting for the hope. Now if you take that in our modern day language, well I hope it don't rain today. That's nothing more than a wish. But this word hope in the New Testament, it means an expectation or a confidence. Paul don't say I'm, I'm waiting and hoping that I get it at the end of the way. Rather what he's saying here is I'm waiting and expecting that when life leaves my body, I'm going to be acceptable unto God through Jesus Christ. That God has made such a means of salvation and redemption is so secure in Jesus that I expect when I leave this world to be accepted in the sight of God. Paul said some of his most famous words, I guess, words that you hear often in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the face. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. Now these are Paul's last written words that we have. He's about to go out, and the emperor's going to cut his head off. And he says, I'm ready to be offered. I've done as the Lord would lead me. I've finished what God would have me to do. Now I'm going to go and lose my head, but I've got all expectation and confidence that when I leave this world, I'm going into the presence of God and I'll be accepted there. Now how, if you're trusting in works, could you have any confidence that if you died today, you're going to be accepted with God? Because if you sin, you're going to have to have something to take care of that sin. So he says, we, through the Spirit, how do we have this expectation and confidence of life that's to come? So much of the time, faith is talked about as walking in the dark, as stepping out on a limb, as taking a, a leap of faith into the unknown. Paul's not walking on the unknown, but we through the Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, and, and I think it ought to be said, I think it ought to be said often, we hear a lot about God the Father. 
We hear a lot about God the Son. But you know the Holy Ghost, He is God as well. Just as much as the Father and the Son are God, the Holy Spirit is God. And God has worked through Jesus to make a means of salvation. And God's working through the Spirit to bring in and secure His believers so that those that are in Christ Jesus... We don't just come and say a few words and say, well, now I'm hoping to get there. But rather, those in Christ, they come and they they repent and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and God gives unto them the Spirit of God in their heart and in their life. He says in Ephesians, again, this is all very familiar, in whom ye also, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So God has called us into this salvation through the word of truth and the call and the working of the Spirit of God. And after that we come to the place that we're trusting in Christ... God then gives us the earnest of the Spirit. And so that you, you ever bought anything from somebody, you, you're familiar with earnest money. You go to look at a car, you go to look at a tractor, and you don't have the $10,000 in your pocket, but you say, look, I, I want to buy that. I don't have the money. I'll give you 500 now as earnest and I'll be back tomorrow to get it. And that money that you're leaving, it's a deposit. And it's a promise that, look, I intend on buying that. I intend on coming back and getting it. It's a security. So that if anybody else comes, he can say, well, look, this fellow's already gave me some money. He's coming back tomorrow with the full amount. Now, the truth is, for me, I might give Gary $500 and I might die tonight and never come back and give him the rest. But we don't have to worry about that with God. He's not going to die. And God, God can't lie. He can't come short of His promise. So then those that come and trust in Christ, God gives them that earnest of the Spirit. And what that is, is that's God's guarantee to me that in the day of redemption, until the redemption of the purchased possession, as He says here, that in the day that God comes back to take up His church, I've got a guarantee that I'm going with them. And it's not that I've been a good boy. It's not that I've been baptized. But God's guaranteed it by putting His Spirit in the depths of my soul. It's a guarantee. That God's going to get. I don't have to fear about that. If I have the earnest of the Spirit, then I can await the redemption He's bought me already. I belong to Him. He's coming back to get me. Well, how do you know that? You're just hoping into thin air. No, He's, he's gave me the third person of the Godhead in the depths of my soul to assure me of my redemption. And through the Spirit and the Word of God, we have confidence in our salvation. Confidence, not in myself, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever, I don't know, maybe you've never thought about it. But I've thought about it often. There's been a few times that I've said, I'll never do that. Have you ever said those words? I've I've found, for me, that every single time that I said those words, I did what I said I'd never do. I did. That's how much of a failure that I am. So that even, even if I intend with all of my strength at this moment that I'm going to live for God and be pleasing to Him. I believe a lot of people have got there. I believe people's come to the altar. And in that moment and in that time, they fully intended to live and do for God and be pleasing unto Him. But you know what we do? We do like Eve did. 
and we go back home and we get out away from Adam and we get out away from the gospel and the, the serpent comes and before long we're right back in the same sin that we always were in. I tell you, the Lord came for a better salvation. I can intend it with all of my strength and never live up to it. But the Lord, I don't even have to worry whether He's able to do that. He's already done the work. He's already been accepted by God. We already have a means of righteousness in Him. So that we through the Spirit... Now outside of the indwelling Spirit of God, there is no assurance nor expectation of salvation. You can lay works out all you want to, and you can lay a list that will roll from here to the back of the church and across the road of good things that we've done in our life, but outside of the Spirit, you've got no confidence in salvation. It's a false hope. It's a lie. It's that that's built upon what the Galatians were looking to build upon. I'm going to build on me. And when the storm comes, I'm going to fall again. Well, I fell last week, but I'm not going to do that again. You ever said that? I'm not going to do this work. I'm not doing that again. But I'm going to start... You ever said this? I'm going to start praying every day. I'm going to take time now and I'm going to read a chapter of my Bible every day. And I'm going to try to pray to God every day. Have you ever said those words? How long before you let that down? My God, what are... We're let downs. We're nothing. We don't need a band-aid. We need a Savior. And God has come that we wouldn't have to trust in ourselves, but we could trust in Jesus and be secure in Him. Through the Spirit... Wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What is faith? If you asked Madison County what they thought faith was individually, the amount of answers you would get would be untold. But I would say the majority would say, well, it's just believing. And if you believe then you've got faith. But we've, we've got a problem there as well because God wrote in His Word that the devils believe and tremble. Would you say they have faith? They don't. If faith is what saves me, then if I have faith, I'm saved. Now let's, let's look at one thing just for a second. Just so just so it's established in our hearts. You might hear today, well, everybody's got faith. And it's just whatever they want to do with it or not. Well, then in 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 3, verse number 2, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So He says in His Word that all men do not have faith. But faith is that that saves man, right? So if, if I have faith, biblical faith, then I'm saved by faith. So what is faith as the Bible teaches? The word means, if, if you look the word up, it means a persuasion or a conviction of religious truth. So when you look at Abraham's faith, and when we look in Romans at Abraham's faith, it, it speaks of him being fully persuaded. It speaks that Abraham was convinced of this promise of God. And he was so convinced that God was going to bring his seed through Isaac that he was willing to kill Isaac, believing that God would raise him from the dead to keep his promise. My God, he was persuaded, wouldn't he? And where'd that come from? Where did his persuasion come from? If you're saved, you're persuaded as well. Where did your persuasion come from? When I was lost, I was not persuaded. 
of the things of God. But there was an evening under the preaching of the Gospel that God the Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, came to where I was on the pew, in the bench, and through the Gospel, God persuaded me that I was a sinner. God persuaded me that I was guilty. God persuaded me that His Son Jesus was able to redeem me and God persuaded me that He had saved me if I'd come to Him. So this faith then, it's exactly like He says in Ephesians chapter 2, it's not of me, it's not of yourselves, but even the faith is the gift of God that was given that we might come to Jesus in salvation. See, it's... It's all of the Lord. And so we, through faith, faith that God's given and persuaded us, we wait for the expectation and we're expecting because of the Spirit that dwells within us. And what are we expecting? Righteousness. I believe just what you said. That people are looking for earth to be heaven. We want heaven to be just like it is down here on earth. But I don't believe that's what Paul's looking for. He's not looking for a, a perfect earth. He's not looking for a place of the flesh. But according to the Scripture, he's looking for righteousness. I believe you can see it in Romans 8 or 7 as Paul is struggling in this life. And you know what he always finds? When I would do good, and that that I would do, I don't do it. And what I would do, I don't do. I find that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And I find that when I would do evil, God's there to convict me. And I'm always in this struggle and in this warfare and in this fight with myself. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I tell you what Paul was looking forward to. One day, he was going to get rid of the battle. The old man that gave him the trouble, he was going to get rid of that and dwell in righteousness with God forever. And so that's what the church is looking for. Not for me to move up into a, a bigger earthly place in glory, but to move out of the tent and to move into the perfect and sinless body that God's prepared for me in Jesus. I'm looking for righteousness that this struggle, day by day, it'll be over with then. The hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. So to be circumcised, if we went back to probably 54, 55 A.D. when this was written, that carried a lot more weight. And really to be circumcised, it's to be religious. To believe the Bible. They believe the Old Testament. They study the Old Testament. They tried to live moral and good lives. They went to church. They prayed to God. They sat under the teaching of the Word of God. They were religious. But in Jesus Christ... Whether I'm religious or not, or whether I'm a Gentile, uncircumcised, those were pagans. Neither one of those mattered in Jesus. I was either in Him or I was not. And if I was circumcised and in Jesus, I was saved and assured of a home in heaven. And if I was a Gentile sinner that was saved in Jesus... I was just as saved as the circumcised man next to me. So that the, the ungodly and the moral living on this earth, they were in the same body in Jesus. And not one was better than another. But on the other side of that, that Gentile, uncircumcised, wicked sinner that the religious said he's going to die and go to hell, and certainly the uncircumcised Gentile sinner, he is going to die and go to hell outside of Jesus. But so also are the religious and the self-righteous and the moral that are outside of Jesus. They're going to die and go to hell as well because circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth. That means to have force. 
That when I step in before God and I say, uh, uh, Father, Lord, Lord, did I not go to church and, and did I not do the right thing and was I not trying to please you and, and didn't I pray and didn't I read my Bible and didn't I do these good works in the courtroom of God Almighty? Those arguments have no force. They didn't, did they? The Lord Jesus said, what did He say to those people that said, did we not? Depart from Me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That word, if you read it in Luke, it's worded like this, I know you not whence you are. I don't know where you're from. But He's not referring to the place where I live in Hot Springs. He's talking about He don't know where I'm from in family. And in a sense, what He's saying is, depart from Me. You're not in My family. You're not of Me. I don't know where you came from. So that all of those outside of Jesus, they've got no hope of salvation. But this is what has force in the kingdom of God. Faith which worketh by love. And I believe you can sum that up in verse 15 of chapter 6 as well. There where we read, Circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but a new creature. So this faith that Paul's talking about here, it's not just a, a dead belief that does nothing to change who I am. But this is a persuasion, not just in the back of my mind, not just from mom and daddy. Mom and daddy persuaded me of some things. But when the Holy Ghost came, that persuasion went a whole lot deeper. Wouldn't you say that's right? That God persuades far beyond what man is able to persuade. This persuasion of God worketh. That means to be active or efficient. This faith is active in the life of the believer. This is a living faith that is working by love. So how does faith work? By love. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And because God first loved us, that love's reciprocated out of the regenerated heart. And this faith is working in our lives. Those that are saved, faith is working in. And if you look in Hebrews 11, a beautiful chapter of faith. But what do you see in every one of those accounts in Hebrews 11? By faith, Abel offered a more perfect. By faith, Enoch walked with God and was translated. By faith, Abraham when he was called out of his home country, obeyed. By faith Noah, being warned of God, built an ark. You know what all of this was? This persuasion that God had given them, they were so persuaded that it brought them to obedience. Yeah. It changed Abraham's life, wouldn't you say? And wouldn't you say the word that Noah received, warning him of the flood that was to come, and the persuasion of God that came with that, wouldn't you say that that changed Noah's life? I don't know what Noah would have done for the 120 years. But that Word of God changed his intention for those 120 years. And it saved him from destruction. And Abraham, he would have never left his home country had God not come by and persuaded him. He would have never offered his son Isaac if he wasn't persuaded of the promise of God. And the church of the living God would have never came out of the world if it was not for the persuasion of God. And so this faith that God gives, it produces obedience. If you told me, look, I know absolutely 100% there's a stock on the market right now that's a buck fifty a share. And by Friday, I know for certainty it's going to be $300. And if you could persuade me of that, 
I'd go get every dollar out of my savings account and buy that stock and make a fortune in money. Wouldn't you? If you were truly persuaded... That's, ain't that what man wants to do? Yeah. You watch a commercial, you watch an advertisement, something for gold, something for a product, something for a vehicle. They want to persuade you that this is what you need because if I'm persuaded, I'm going to go to the store tomorrow. I'm going to pick up the phone and call that number. Your salesman's persuaded me. I want to have that. I tell you, the Lord, He goes a lot farther than a salesman can. And He persuades a man. And I tell you what He can do. God can persuade the biggest and the meanest and the toughest and the hardest and the most obstinate towards God. God can persuade them and have them down here on their face weeping before God and before the church. God can do that. That is God's power and His force so that this faith produces a new creature. This is not liberty to live how we want to. Because those that are in Christ, they're not their own anymore. They've been bought with a price. God is now their owner. That's not politically correct in our world today. But that's what God says that we are. He bought us and brought us in to His family. And the church belongs to Him. And you know the truth? I was talking to Morgan about this yesterday. There was a time in the past of my life working in... Uh, I was down in McDowell County in Marion working. It was a Wednesday evening. And they had a piece of equipment break down on a bridge. They said, it's going to take us a while to get this fixed. We're probably going to have to work late tonight. I've never forgot the feeling that I got when they told me that. And I thought, I'm not going to make it back to church tonight. Now, I realize, I realize that's silly in our world today. But I'm telling you, when I heard that, my heart fell to the bottom of my shoes. And I was disappointed. And I'll tell you what i done. I got out of my truck and prayed, God, would you make a way for me to be able to be at church? Never forgot. And I, that wasn't me. That was the persuasion of God working in my heart. And in just a day or two, or just a few minutes, they came and said, well, we ain't got the part to fix it. We're just going to shut down till in the morning. And I hightailed it back to Asheville, and I made it to church. But you know, that, that working of God, I really wasn't free to work over on Wednesday and feel good about it. And if I had worked over about it, I would have been condemned in my heart for doing so. Now how in the world can the world do as they please and treat God as they please and live as they please if they belong to the same Master that I belong to? It's a lie. People are lost. They're unregenerated. They do not have faith. And they've never been made a new creature. But we're religious, preacher. Well, in Christ Jesus, religion and Gentilism are of no value but a new creature that's produced by the working of God in the life. And even in that, even in that, I've got nothing to boast in. But all of the good and I won't even say it that way. What good that there is that comes out of this man is produced by the persuasion that God gave to me. I didn't warrant it. I didn't earn it. God gifted by His compassion and by His pity the persuasion that brought me to the Lord Jesus Christ and the working of the new creature that wasn't by me, that wasn't by my study. I tell you what I've heard before, and it's, it's always well intended, but I've been told, thank you for the preaching. The Lord needs a willing vessel. That's well intended, and I don't be mean to people that say it. But I tell you the God's truth, I was not willing. I was not a willing vessel. 
I, I remember uh, 15 years ago, Vaughn would say, Joseph, why don't you teach Sunday school? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you know what God did? God took me and God changed me and God made me a willing vessel. This is another... and. I don't, I don't want to get into storytelling, but this is just the truth. Morgan told me one time, why don't we, why don't we get up in church and sing? You, we could practice and we could get up. We weren't even married at the time. I said, honey, I'll never sing. I'll never sing in front of the church. I can't do that. And I, it was about a week later. I was at the house. I was listening to music and... Uh, it is well with my soul came on. I'm telling you, God put me down on my face thanking Him that it was well with my soul. And God said, you're going to sing that Sunday morning. And I got up and I wrote those words down and I went to church Sunday morning and I stood up and said, I've got a song I want to sing. And the very mouth that two weeks before said, I'm not going to do that. It got up and sung glory unto God. That's the persuasion of God. He makes new creatures. He changes our mind, our wants, our desires, our will. And I tell you what, if she had made me get up and sing, I'd have been aggravated about it. But the Lord persuaded me. And it tickled me slapped to death to get up and sing. Ain't that wonderful? So see, the, the world that says, well, I can't serve God, that's going to bind me all up. In truth, I was bound up in the world. And He set me free. And the life that I now live in Jesus is freer today than it's ever been in my life. And what joy that the work of God brings in the life of those that are His. That's all that's...